Ladies, gentlemen, those in between and those beyond, welcome to the Primate Cast. Evolution. Communication. Cognition. Conservation. Behavior. Primatology. Primatology. Typically primates. Become the monkey. Yes, indeed, we're back here at the Primate Cast. I'm your host, Andrew McIntosh, and this is podcast number 57, two plus years after number 56. Sorry for that. More on that later. Today's podcast, which is going to be released on Friday, February the 14th, 2020, happy Valentine's Day, everyone, is all about saving the golden lion tamarind from extinction. So if you're feeling your February 14th love, please send that over to the Atlantic coastal forests of Brazil, where these golden lion tamarinds are living. But before we get into the podcast, a little bit of housekeeping here. So I've already mentioned it's been two plus years since our last podcast. That was number 56, way back on September of 2017, where we interviewed Dr. Chris Whittier. Now, I wish I had a better reason for why we've been off the air for two plus years. But all I can say is that sometimes things get in the way and other things uh, get pushed to the side. Now, that's not for lack of trying and... Eventually, we, or it was an eventuality that we'd get back on the air, and so here we are. But in the meantime, we had not been completely idle. So as you heard from the intro there, we do have a new theme a song, which was brought to you by Andre Gonzalez, who's a graduate student here in the section of Language and Intelligence at the Primate Research Institute of Kyoto University. So we were going back and forth on ideas for that, and he really put something together that's pretty special as far as I'm concerned, and I hope you all liked it as well. So that'll be with us going forward. We also have a bunch of archived interviews and content uh, that we'll be putting out over the next weeks and months. These include um, a special or even a two-part special on thanatology, which is the study of all things death with a focus here on the animal kingdom that, again, Andre will be putting together for us. We also have some archived interviews with Dr. Julie Dubosc, who will be talking to us about um, social structure, social networks, social transmission of information and infectious diseases She was a postdoc uh, in my lab for a number of years. And we'll also have an interview with Dr. Chuck Snowden, who brings us some insight into the evolution of musicality and musical tastes in marmosets. We, of course, also have plenty of opportunities on the horizon to collect new interviews, and those will be coming out in the months and year ahead. In the meantime, we also have conservation voices still in tow with the Primate cast, as Dr. Cecile Sarabian has assumed a postdoc position here at the Primate Research Institute, and she'll be with us for the next foreseeable future. Okay, but getting back to today's podcast, in September of 2018, uh, just so happened to be on my birthday, which you'll hear a little bit about later when our guest congratulates me. Ignore that. It is Valentine's Day 2020 now. But I was joined in the studio by Dr. Valeria Humano. Valeria was a PhD student and postdoc in my lab from 2014 to 2019. She was also affiliated with Strasbourg University mainly and working with my friend and colleague, Dr. Cedric Suer. She's currently a postdoctoral fellow at the University of Alicante in Spain. Now, Valeria got her start in wildlife biology and primatology, you can say, in the Atlantic forests of Brazil, exactly in the place where the golden lion tamarinds uh, are living. And that's the topic for today's podcast. So when Valeria was here, she was invited to be part of the uh, an annual meeting in 2018 for the Golden Lion Tamarind Association. And so we leveraged that opportunity and her budding collaboration there again 
by getting her to conduct a series of interviews with conservation scientists that were present there. So these include people that were founders of the organization, uh, have been invested through decades in the uh, success of the program. And we have five interviews from that meeting and from Valeria to present today. And in addition to that, we'll be hearing a lot about what Valeria is doing, uh, how she's gotten involved and the importance of that program to make sure that golden lion tamarins remain in existence for the foreseeable future. So without any further preamble here, and to belie the fact that I've missed two plus years of podcasts, let's get right into it and welcome Valeria to the studio. Thank you, Andrew. It's a big pleasure to be here. I believe it's the first time that you've ever been in this studio, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is the first time. I mean, I have uh, heard a lot about it and also listening to many of your podcasts, but wow. uh, this wow. is a big pleasure. Thank you for the sport. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, but before we start, uh, I would like to ask everybody to join me to wish Andrew happy birthday. Okay, <laughs> I, I couldn't think of any better way to spend my birthday than with you in a podcast here. So, oh, thank you. So thank you. I hope uh, I hope the listeners have as much fun as I do. Yeah, it's gonna be great, and I think uh, it's, it's it's very special to be here as well. So I wish you all the best and a lot of conservation projects for the future and beers coming from the Godolan Tamarind. So Luis Paulo Ferraz is gonna listening to us very soon when you meet us please save beers from the project to us <laughs> yes i i second that motion thank you for <laughs> thank you for that so uh, let's just get right down into it what is a golden lion tamarind well um hmm, that's a good question <laughs> from my perspective golden lion tamarind is the most beautiful and fascinating small word new word primate that you might observe <laughs> <laughs> So tell us about it. What what uh, what does a golden lion tamarind look like? So it's a it's a quite small primate. It has about fifty centimeters, something the uh, the tail, and uh, the name golden lion tamarind comes because um, they literally look like an orange primate. It's like it's uh, when the sun just uh, shine on it, it's good, looks like gold, mm-hmm. and that's why we have like the golden lion tamarind. So it has this. Um, it's a it's it's a it's a primate species which is. M- um, predominantly monogamous. So I used to say that it's like compared to the Japanese macaques, they look like hippie, you know, like hippie. It's like <laughs> peace and love. They are like uh, quite nice with the behavior, like not very aggressive compared to the Japanese macaques. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so. And so they, these, as far as I understand, these animals are also restricted to a certain area of forest oh, yeah. in Brazil. Yes. So uh, this is endangered and endemic species. The endemic species lives in um, in Atlantic forest fragments in the Rio or Rio de Janeiro state in Brazil. So um, when it was about 1980, we had about just few hundred individuals living into the wild. And um, they, they always live in this portion of the Atlantic forest in the Rio de Janeiro. But after, by the researcher called Coimbra Filho, they realized that those animals were actually living a very um, a small portion of the area they originally mm-hmm. were living there. Yeah. So this is just outside of Rio. So, I mean, how, how many humans are we talking about in this area that are maybe competing for the... How, how many people live in Rio anyways? Well, uh, I don't know, like in Rio, <laughs> uh, I, I have no, this number I don't have in mind right now. But in the coast of Rio, with that where there is um, this, the basin where these this individuals are living, um, the inhabitants right now, the, um, the rainforest fragments, we have about one million people mm-hmm. living in there. 
Yeah. Okay. So, so that's obviously, uh, yeah, that's a huge number. Yeah, a lot of stress on the animals there. Yeah. And so, what were kind of the main? Uh, what was the main reason why the population got so small for those golden lion tamarinds? Yeah, so um, as I said, like in, in 1980, we, uh, 70 to 80, they started observing that there was only few hundred individuals living in the wild. And the main reason for um, the decline of these individuals, the population, was that uh, there was a lot of illegal traffic mm. and also uh, deforestation. So that was the main two reasons why the population size decreased. Yeah. So the, basically because they're so beautiful, uh, they became popular uh, yeah. household pets. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they were sold everywhere. Yeah. So at the time we had some, uh, some I mean, there are some records that uh, shows that the animals were, were like illegally being removed and so on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But so since that time, uh, when they recognized that there was a problem, a lot of progress has been made. So uh, can you tell us a little bit about uh, some of the actions that are happening here with the, the Golden Lion Tamarin Association? Yeah, so what happened is that uh, um, after this research of Coimbrafilia, also Ademafilio, they started to, to, to work together. What happened is that uh, they, they started calling the attention of an international society. Mm -hmm. And um, some researchers in the United States, they, 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 they came for our call and then they started making some collaborations. And then when it was in um, 1998, no, sorry, 1992, it was when the Golden Lion Tamarind Association was created. Mm -hmm. And this is the Brazilian Association for the Conservation of the golden lion tamarinds and of course the main goal is not only to to focus on the the, the, the conservation of these species but by saving these species from extinction we are also saving a huge land and a huge, a huge area of um, atlantic forest and mm -hmm. the animals that inhabit there mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so uh not that long ago uh you actually took a trip down to brazil and, and participated in a meeting of the association so can you tell us about that yeah so that is uh, the planning strategic planning meeting they have every other year or frequently or not when it's necessary and uh, so this is mainly organized by the IMLD, the association board. And what happens in this meeting is that we call, we sit all together, not only uh, the board members of the IMLD, but also the collaborators that include the researchers, that include mm -hmm. the funders, that include the representatives of the government as well. And then we have, um, we follow what we call the adaptive management. So we discuss about our goals what we have uh, failed, mm -hmm. what we have a success. Mm -hmm. And then according to these, we develop our ac actions and then we adaptively, we manage them according to the failures and the success we had for each one uh, of them. So in February this year, we sit all together and we develop again the strategic planning meeting for the next um, two years that is gonna be from 2018 to 2020 or 19, yeah, 1920. Yeah. So what was going on? Um, you know, how did people recognize there was such an issue, a uh, conservation threat to these animals? And, and, you know, what kind of actions were put into place at that time and, and what's been going on since? Yeah, so in 1983, around 1983, they observed that there was only a few hundred individuals living into the wild. And if you look at the map of distribution of these animals, what was before uh, completely distributed around the, the state of Rio de Janeiro in the coast, uh, it's it happened to be just uh, at this basin in San João River basin, and that's a very uh, 
a small area compared to what it was before. So at the time, some Brazilian researchers are starting to call the attention of the international community, especially with the United States American uh, researchers, and they started some programs for starting with all this process for the looking at the what is happening, well, how is the situation, what they can predict for doing this in the future. Yeah. Okay. So we'll, a little bit later, we'll kind of go through uh, how you got started with this project. But what is your capacity now with the project? Well, uh, now I'm a collaborator of the Gondolaire Tamarinha Association. I'm also collaborating directly with Carlos Luiz Miranda uh, in the University of um, he, uh, in the Wenf, that is Northern State University of Rio de Janeiro. And uh, the support I provide now is based basically and mainly based on the epidemiological uh, models that we can create to understand how a stochastic process such as disease outbreaks could interfere in the population and uh, decrease dramatically or not these populations in, in the wild. Yeah. yeah, okay, so let's just step back for a second. When you think of conservation threats, of course, the biggest ones and one that, that, that has been recognized in this, this project from the beginning is uh, habitat uh, loss, destruction, degradation, uh, fragmentation. Yeah. Um, then we have other things to do with like climate change. Of course, you mentioned the pet trade, so uh, over harvesting is another mm -hmm. big issue. So how does kind of infectious disease play in here? Okay, so uh, if you think recently about the yellow fever, for example, the dynamic and temp local temperatures are increasing, allowing to the dynamics of, a, of life of the mosquitoes, for example, is also being influenced. So for example, for this area specifically, we have uh, some local extinctions of Aloata Gariba, the, the Bugios, and, um, and we still don't know until May this year if the golden lion tamarins would be susceptible or not. Mm. So um, recently we got one um, case of golden lion tamarins being killed because of this disease. And then having, providing due support for the epidemiological perspective for the conservation is actually highly important to understand how it would influence and which measures we could do in case some outbreak happens into this um, environment. So let's set up this meeting here. Uh, in February of this year, 2018, you traveled back to Brazil to yeah. join, uh, you know, this strategic meeting of the Golden Lion Tamarind Association. So how about you? And, and that's exactly the platform for this entire podcast. So can you tell us about that meeting and, and what it was like to just get back involved and in seeing all the players? And... Yeah, so uh, this is a strategic planning meeting. Uh, the association, his collaborators, we we get together every other year or when it's, we report it's necessary, so it might change from three, one year, it depends. And uh, what happens there is that we gather, we gather like the board members of the association, we also get the collaborators that includes researchers, funders, landowners, and also representatives of the government. So this year, for example, we had uh, representatives from the Minister of the Environment, the Minister of Health, and others, yeah. So basically, in this meeting, we we use an approach called adaptive management that basically we design and manage and monitor the actions, the conservation actions uh, the association has for the next years. So we don't only look at the assumptions we have to create the methods for applying these actions, but we also look at the the success and the failures we have for each actions we have previously created and what we can do to implement it for the nexus. So of course it also depends on the threats the golden lion tamarind uh, might have in that moment. So for instance this year 
one day were separated just to discuss about disease and the, the problem of yellow fever into this, um, into this area. So we develop actions based on the threats we have to try to minimize and maximize, minimize the risk and maximize the force we can have to get uh, good um, answers from this. Yeah. So what exactly are the goals of the Golden Lion Tamarind Association? Yeah, so our big goal is what we call the 20 and 25 goal. That is actually having at least 2,000 wild animals inhabiting, living in at least 25,000 hectares of a connected and protected forest in Brazil, in this area. Yeah. So what is the significance of those numbers? I mean, uh, so there's obviously this whole thing should be uh, or is science based. And so I imagine yeah. there's a process into going into how they determine, you know, what would be a good number of individuals, yeah, uh, tamarinds yeah. to have in the wild and then how much space we need. So Yeah, definitely. So there is a process called uh, a software called the Vortex. So that's basically uh, population viability analysis, right? So researchers, um, they sit together and they run several simulations with different scenarios. And these scenarios could be uh, the level of fragmentation, the isolation between the fragments, the population size, and the threats we knew in the Golden Lion Tamarind has. So after doing the simulations, they arrived with this number that is a good number, let's say, to, to, to the species actually being resilient in case there are some threats in the environment. Mm -hmm. So they would support this fluctuation, let's say, through time. Okay, so while you were uh, attending this strategic meeting, uh, we kind of had planned for the primate cast to get a few interviews on the ground from some of the people who are, you know, mo uh, the real catalysts to mm -hmm. uh, saving this species and making sure that, the, you know, they'll persist. So, so can you introduce the first uh, person? Our first guest is going to be Luis Paulo Ferraz. He's the executive secretary of the Golden Lion Tamarind Association. And he's going to introduce to us uh, the main activities that the association has been doing for the past uh, 40 years. Okay, so here's Luis. We are a small organization. We have something like uh, 15 persons formally work with us in our, in our staff. But uh, all the work that we do is uh, related to connecting people and uh, connecting organizations to work together because we cannot do all these things only as a small NGO. So to do our work in terms of conservation, it's not only uh, work related to research. Research is a very important part of our work, but we try to uh, connect conser conservation actions and uh, scientific knowledge. That's why we have different programs in our uh, conservation strategy that are connected to the same goal, that is saving the golden lion tamarind from extinction. And to do that, we have to, of course, we have to manage the population of golden lion tamarinds, but at the same time, we have to work in terms of a regional uh, conservation scale, uh, trying to create a conservation landscape by protecting forests, the landscape that we have here. We don't have much forests and we have a high fragmentation of this uh, remnants of forests, so we have to plant lots of forests and also connect these fragments to make possible the conservation in a long-term perspective of the Golden Lion Tamarind. And to work to plant forests, to restore the Atlantic forest, we also have to work with the local communities because uh, 
we do all this restoration work in private land. Most of this restoration work is done in private land. So we have a long-term work talking to the landowners, to the, to the farmers, to the small families that are the agricultures, trying to work with them to create these corridors, to create these connections. Uh, at the same time, we also work with some of the families to produce the seedlings that are used in our restoration uh, projects. That means uh, creating some jobs and some opportunities for the families to be part of this conservation effort. We also work with uh, environmental education, with local schools and uh, different groups that come here for, uh, to know more about our projects. And uh, ecotourism is also another strategy. We receive tourists to have the opportunity to see this beautiful animal in the wild. It's a wonderful experience that people can uh, understand a conservation experience and also enjoy a nice walk on the forest. We are one and a half hours drive from Rio, so that's quite possible. Rio is a very important tourist uh, uh, city in Brazil. Well, we also have to work in terms of uh, public policies, trying to influence the government, local and, and federal, at, at federal level. Uh, so this is all, all this kind of work is connected in a conservation plan that you try to implement. And uh, we have the, 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 our goal to, to save the gondola and tamarind by protecting uh, at least 25,000 hectares of forests protected and connected uh, with a population that at least 2,000 gold lion tamarinds. So we, are, uh, we have a good population of gold lion tamarinds, but our main problem today is the fragmentation of the habitat. So we have a lot of work still to do. Uh, we have good results to show, but uh, lots of things to be done, especially restoring the landscape. To do that, we also have to be connected to different institutions at the local level, at the regional level, insti uh, research institutions, and also some partners uh, who help us a lot in terms of financing our work. Even if we are a small organization, our, our work depending on support from different organization, organizations. Good partners that we have are involved in, uh, 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 related to the, the zoo communities. This is a wonderful experience of protect, uh, uh, use of the captivity population of endangered, endangered species to help to save the species from extinction. So uh, from 1983 to 2000, uh, 146 animals were reintroduced in the wild and it was a very successful reintroduction and uh, we created a good relationship with different zoos all over the world some of them are still good partners until today of this uh, conservation initiative. That's why uh, we share with them some of our results. In the long-term perspective, we are uh, uh, still counting on these partnerships to make this process more, even more successful. successful. And uh, we hope that uh, we can reach our goals and save the gondolion tamarind and improve in the, the, the environment conditions in all this region here.
All right, so Luis really eloquently laid out that, that entire conservation plan or strategy that they have going down here. I mean, it really is amazing when you think about the scope and the scale of these kind of uh, problems, but just to keep a, a species going uh, like the yeah, golden lion tamarind. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing that I particularly like from the Luis Paul um, um, speech is that uh, he shows how integrated is mm -hmm. the project of the Golden Lion Tamarind Association and demonstrates us how much effort and how much is important is the partners that we have to keep this project going on. Yeah, so, so he, he mentioned like, uh, I guess, four different kind of distinct groups of, yeah. of partners, which uh, actually as this uh, podcast goes on, we'll be able to get in touch with, uh, you know, some, some representatives of each of those. But uh, uh, from your perspective at this meeting, like how was it... Um, I don't want to call you an outsider, you're not an outsider, mm -hmm. but how was it coming into that situation after having been away for a while and, mm -hmm. uh, and, and just seeing how things are going at this meeting? Yeah, so for those who, who don't know, um, I was doing my PhD abroad, so I spent the four years without going to Brazil. I mean, we, we kept the relationship and also the, the contact by, I mean, message and the social media and the Skype, but it's completely different to, to be there again. So at first, uh, I must say that uh, personal age was, it was very good. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, I mean, the association is, is formed by many of my friends. I mean, I, I respect many of the researchers. I mean, most and all the researchers that work there actually. So um, it was just to be at home. It's like uh, I, I arrived in, 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 the, in the meeting room and uh, Carlos, Carlos Luis Miranda is gonna be our next uh, uh, guest was just like his standing and was like, I mean, it just, it's just amazing. <laughs> so uh, I have been already in other meetings. So this was not my first time attending such a strategic planning meeting. And uh, what makes a difference this time is that for me, I, I saw many more representatives this time than the last time I have mm -hmm. been there. But it was just my impression. It's just that it's not uh, because it was more this year. It's just that the last time I went, uh, it was a bit more. Yeah. So that was, and the dynamic is also very good. So everybody interact with everybody, and uh, there is no distinct rule that uh, we should uh, access people. We can talk um, easily with everybody. So that's mm -hmm. very good. Great. And so you mentioned that it, it kind of felt like home. And I guess yeah. part of that is you said Carlos, who, who happened to be uh, one of your past supervisors. Yeah. So Carlos, who is Miranda, he was my undergraduate supervisor and also my master's supervisor. And um, what happened is that uh, I worked, I started working in collaboration with the IMLD, with the association um, in 2007, actually. So I went there first as an intern. And then what happened is that I was doing already my research, so I, I met everybody. And then uh, we kept this relationship for a while. So Carlos, for me, is uh, one of um, my big advisors in the field of primatology and also a good friend. So being back was professionally and personally a very good uh, moment. Yeah. So we're going to hear from Carlos right now. So yeah. you want to maybe set that up? Well, so Carlos Luis Miranda, he's a professor of vertebrate behavior and conservation in the Norton uh, Rio de Janeiro State University, or Rio de Janeiro State University. <laughs> and he's also <laughs> the president of the board of the Godelarn Tamarind Association. So Carlos has been working uh, since a long time already with um, 
the Gondola Tamarin Association, he was former postdoc in Smithsonian. So that's how he, he made this link with the Godelaine Tamarin Association and he got his professor position into, into here. And uh, since this time, he kept this relationship and good relationship with the association. So he's going to talk a little bit now just um, about this um, relationship and how he started his research field in Brazil. I have been working with the Godelaine Tamarin Conservation Project since 1992. When I started, I was a researcher for the Smithsonian's National Zoological Park and I came here to work on the reintroduction project and was interested in research on the differences between captive-born and wild-born tamarins, mostly on communication and I uh, studied a lot their long calls then had a long-term project on the development of vocalizations, uh, infant vocalizations and I worked on food transfers and other issues that had to do with parental care and, and ontogeny and uh, ever since the, the, in 97 I moved to Brazil and I became a professor at the university here and then my interests in research were kind of diversified because they included the interests the students had so we did a little bit of nutritional ecology at the time and we started working with uh, also the introduced common marmosets uh, there's a big population here of hybrids of Calitrix jackals and Penicillata and we were interested in, at the beginning, knowing how many were there and whether they posed any kind of threat for the conservation of golden lion tamarins. And we've been on and off working on that. We did some studies of uh, how much time they spent together and a competition in small fragments. Um, and now, in the, in the last few years, you know, my interests have been also in uh, a little bit in population ecology. Uh, with I have advise students on population genetics and landscape genetics but most of the my emphasis now the research emphasis is on movement ecology of the animals because we're interested now one of the in, in knowing uh, through which kind of uh, landscape features animals move the golden lion tamarins move because the big deal now is uh, connectivity landscape connectivity so we need to look at landscape connectivity in terms of um, landscape connectivity in how the monkeys see landscape connectivity, not how we see landscape connectivity in a map, theoretically. So we need to understand landscape connectivity in terms of uh, the monkey's perspective. So we're, that's a big emphasis now. And also I am kind of brokering a study of uh, disease. The, uh, is there a threat of epidemic disease in the population of golden lion tamarins? And this is where I am uh, interested in having a collaboration with Valeria Romano and the uh, Kyoto Private Center on trying to model, you know, the different potential threats for epidemic disease and uh, model how they will spread, the outbreak will spread, so we can have in hand some uh, preemptive actions we can take in case of an outbreak of an epidemic disease. And so as someone myself who's recently transitioned from, uh, well, maybe not that recently anymore, but transitioned <laughs> from, you know, being a more active researcher, younger researcher, uh, student, postdoc, to somebody who's now facilitating a lot of different student projects and internship projects, I totally understand, yeah. you know, the diversification, but also just listening to him now, you get a sense of 
how relevant so many different you know lines of research might be when you have an endangered species that you're trying to protect and so you know he talked about things like uh, uh, communication between individuals and you know if you think of how animal how important communication is for for especially social animals yeah uh, you know their social dynamics their reproductive behavior and now you have them in these small pockets of fragmented landscapes very small populations so even things like that can become or the importance of those things become so amplified yeah. you know in the conservation context yeah absolutely for example you're talking about communication right and Carlos has showed with one of his uh, PhD students at the time that um, the distance, the maximum distance where the long call, that is a very mm. important vocalization that for the Gondolan tamarins for long distance, right? And uh, for um, the cohesion of the group, actually degradate up to 100 meters. Mm. So if you consider that we have a fragmented landscape, how it influences the, the communication among individuals and after um, the home range also of the groups. Yeah, so that's this right. Is, this is affects uh, the whole population. So this is a very small animal. And, and yeah. so we have some small New World primates here at the Primate Research Institute. And yeah. you often hear them even from the parking lot yeah. uh, emitting their calls, not yeah. long calls, yeah, but they're such high frequency. Yeah, yeah, the marmosets. Yeah. And so we can just imagine how, how easy easy it is for those sounds to dissipate uh, yeah. over short distances. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that's really uh, interesting. And of course, towards the end, he was talking about a very important issue, landscape mm -hmm. ecology and movement ecology and how the animals you know, are actually moving around their forest habitats and can they get between fragments. And that, of course, is really important for, for assessing how viable a population might be in the future. Yeah, exactly. And uh, then what is very much interesting from Carlos' uh, research line is that he focuses on all aspects. That's what uh, you said at the very beginning. And that's a very complicated approach as well, because we have uh, to look at the social drivers, the genetic consequences, um, the, how it is just to influence basically the movement of individuals, whether they can cross or not the roads. Mm -hmm and uh, the survival of these individuals when they cross it, but it's very low, and that's another problematic we have in Brazil. And um, so, uh, I mean, Carlos is a good example of how he can, he can try and how he works to harder to get all the pieces together. And the one important thing that I, I admire very much in him is that uh, he does his research, he's, he's, a, he's a mentor of many students, but he's also the president of the association so he gets money for the association as well he tried he, i mean he, they work together on it so this is a it's a dual role and uh, he they do it very well yeah and so as a student of carlos's you also have done some work on movement and and uh, uh yeah. dispersal yeah of yeah. golden lion tamarind so why don't you just briefly introduce that uh, for us okay so uh during the time i was in brazil um for my master's studies I look at the social drivers of uh, golden lion tamarind's natal dispersal. So what is natal dispersal? Natal dispersal is basically when individuals, they leave the parents' home, right? They leave their families. So if you are wondering why your kids leave home after a while, so we did the same questions for the golden lion tamarind. <laughs> <laughs> and what you discover is that, uh, don't get surprised, the reason is that they find reproductive opportunities. So mm -hmm. if they're interested for breeding, they will leave. That's a bit logical, of course. But uh, we look at that they disperse much more during the mating season, mm -hmm. and that was very much interested. Uh, interesting. And uh, the other reason is that um, the males they usually leave the groups because they have a relatively lower social integration to the group compared to the female dispersions, also to the own um, members of the group, right? 
So that was one of the questions that I have developed together with Carlos mm -hmm. in, in Brazil. Yeah, so we look at the social drivers of a metal dispersal. Okay. And so, um, you know, when you're thinking about conservation and, and uh, strategies and activism, obviously just doing research isn't enough. And so mm. Carlos has, has uh, uh, also been really important driver of the conservation side of things in addition to the research. And so in the next uh, section of this, uh, this interview with Carlos, he actually talks a little bit more about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Carlos, he, he's also the president of the Godolano Tamarind Association. And uh, next he's going to to present to us this link between the university and the Godolano Tamarind Association, how this uh, link can be uh, well done or not. <laughs> Let's see. <laughs> so being a university professor has been uh, a very useful for the, uh, for the NGO uh, in, in two ways and, and useful for the university too. Uh, first, I, because I can have graduate students and undergraduate students, I can put them to work uh, in uh, research that's of interest to the Golden Lion Tamarind Association. Uh, but also, you know, one of, one of the lines of uh, uh, action of a, uh, my university is university extension. Professors have to work on what they call extension projects, and they have a line of funding for that, mostly for fellowships to, to, uh, for students and, and collaborators. So I've been able in the past to use that, that university resource to fund actual environmental educators that stay and work at the NGO full-time so I can help on their education programs that way. And also I can write big grants and part of our strategic planning is to identify areas of knowledge that we need to have in order for us to implement conservation actions. And the NGO doesn't have the resources for, for, uh, to, get res for to do research. So being a university professor, I can put together teams of researchers and we can write the science grants that we have access to and uh, funding uh, research that's uh, necessary for the uh, Golden Lion Tamarind Association. It also, you know, there's uh, so the association in return gives us a lot of uh, logistic support in the field and also the opportunity for students to come and do internships. Uh, I have uh, several students that have come here and in addition to doing the research, they participated and learned about environmental education. They learned how a conservation project works. Uh, they participate in the environmental planning um, so they're, they're, we both, uh, it's a, a symbiotic relationship, you know, it's a very collaborative and we both benefit from that relationship and it's actually a model that's uh, used a lot in Brazil because NGOs hardly ever have the, the funds to, to have in-house researchers, so it's the partnership with the uh, government, uh, with the uh, universities, uh, that you can get to do the long-term research projects. Uh, and then universities benefit because they have an in-house uh, logistic support on a species that they can use so the university doesn't have to maintain that logistic support. Uh, so it's been very good and we've also been collaborating in courses, teaching courses uh, for American universities that come and universities from, from Europe also that come and do field courses through the university but uh, we use the uh, association logistics and, and knowledge of the area for us to make those courses more interesting. So one, one aspect that's particularly interesting uh, for this relationship between the NGO and the, and the university is uh, the international collaborations. Uh, the university has the opportunity to establish uh, international collaborations uh, with other institutions uh, to receive students and channel international students to come here and do work and researchers to do work. And it facilitates everything that has to do with the bureaucracy uh, related to permits and all of that and for example we're interested now with collaboration with Valeria we may 
be able to do an interesting collaboration with a Kyoto Private Center, which is a center of international excellence in primate research, to come and, and, uh, um, and help and do work with colon lion tamarins and other, and other primates that we have in, in our area of, of, uh, of action, like howler monkeys and capuchin monkeys. Um, they can come to work, and that partnership can be you know, a three-part partnership with the university to solve certain uh, the almost certain aspects, academics, and then with the Golden Lion Tamarin Association for the straight conservation action. And the Golden Lion uh, Tamarin Association, every time we do strategic planning, we always invite, have to have people from international organizations come here in order to be, uh, to give us input on, uh, on our actions and strategies and help us challenge our assumptions and contribute. And, uh, and it will be perfect to have people from uh, the Kyoto Private Center. So I think that was a really great introduction into, you know, the roles that the important role that universities can have. And, you know, when he talks about just having that platform for to being able to access a whole different type of funding, for example, to do science and research in these. Uh, and, and even that the extinction research sounds really fascinating and, uh, you know, just a great opportunity to help support these NGOs. But he also talked about how the NGOs can then support uh, the university's endeavors. And I think that's where I want to come back to you. So he mentioned in, in this section of the interview how it's great at a university. You can kind of, you know, push students into do <laughs> some of this important work for the Golden Lion Tamarind. And you happen to have been one of those students. So can you maybe starting from the very beginning, how did you become involved in all of this? So uh, from the very beginning, it was in 2007, yeah, more than 10 years ago already. And uh, I was applying for several universities in Brazil, and I knew already that uh, there was this group in this WENF, that is Northern Rio de Janeiro State University, that were working with the Godelaren Tamarine. And I was passionate about this project. I already liked it very much, even before thinking that I could work with them. I just, uh, I thought it's absolutely amazing. So when I knew I would like to be a biologist, I remember that I said, well, then I'm going to go to this university and I'm going to try to work with this professor. So actually, it was my second week of undergraduate studies that I knocked on the door of Carlos and I said, hey, can I work <laughs> with you? <laughs> so it's just a little bit awkward because I was feeling just like, oh my God, this is just this professor, of course, like uh, I feel a little bit shy. But, I, you know, I had the <laughs> chance to meet him over Skype not that long ago when we were talking about the, our collaboration and yeah. he, he was very, uh, I mean, just very warm and, and we he had is. a great chat. He was very yeah. open and it was just a seamless conversation, yeah, you know, he, at the end of which I was very, you know, happy yeah, to have. And he's a really friendly person you can kind of over that just by the minute you talk over him so that's amazing um, so yeah so that's how I started working with the project so basically I joined the Carlos research team and at the time I was working with the interface between uh, marmosets and godeline tamarins the use of the space and also the behavior and um, what happened is that uh, soon after that I remember that I was still a little bit uh, I think as most of the colleges, as I think one of our dreams was to be a marine biologist. And I remember... <laughs> hey, me too. <laughs> you too. So I remember that I came to Carlos and I said, hey, look, I also got this position. I also can go to this university in, the, in Rio. It is actually very well known for, for, for the marine biologist, biology. And at the time I was there, like we still didn't know what the role I could have for, for, for the research in his institute. So Carlos just told me, okay, before you make your mind, let's go to the field. <laughs> and uh -huh. I remember this day like so clear in my mind, like we went to the field and he said, so these are the Godelaren tamarins 
and that's what we could try to do together i was like ha i love it i want to never leave it <laughs> and that's it so they spent like the next six years with carlos because in brazil we kind of start doing research very early that mm-hmm. is a um, a fellowship that is called Iniciação Científica, so basically it's like a scientific initiation science. And then uh, students, even from the first semester, they can already start and be involved with science. That's and that's what Carlos allowed me. So he gave me the opportunity to be involved with the projects they have since very early. So as part of his research uh, ideas and team, what happens is that uh, he we go to this association, so the Good Alarm Tamarind Association, and we usually we do an internship with them. So I spent about one month with them going from different projects that they do have and uh, to get experience from them. So that was the time that I met uh, people from the field work, from the field team, mm-hmm. and they, were my, they are my collaborators until now. Like they are amazing people. And that was some, uh, a little bit of uh, how it was, this, this way it was, yeah. So let me just ask you here, kind of a silly question, but uh, you had that one day in the field with Carlos and you saw the golden lion tamarins and you were hooked, but what was the experience of, of seeing these? Uh, yeah, I mean, they have such a, an amazing backstory being so close to the, you know, extinction yeah. uh, a number of decades ago and then, you know, coming back and we'll get to that later. Mm-hmm. But uh, what was kind of the feeling? And you had already known about this project and, and you know. Yeah, uh, I mean... <laughs> Personally, it was very good, but I think what was more interesting from that day is that I, I, I left behind a little bit just the impressions I had as, uh, oh, I like, I think it's going to be nice and so on, but more like the professional way. So that's when me as a biologist and as a researcher, I started to put things on. So Carlos, he provides a lot of, uh, of knowledge when you go to the field with him. Mm-hmm. And not only him, but also all the field team. Mm-hmm. So I learned a lot about the reintroduction program, about... Uh, how was the process, how to, to identify individuals into the field, how to locate them, mm-hmm. about the behavior, about the ecology. So I would say that I keep my passion about the gondolar tamarins. That is something that is, is there. But uh, I, I start being the biologist I want to be with them. Right. So the research I am today, I would say that uh, it's like a part is because they, they raise it somehow. Like mm-hmm. these me. That's good. Okay. So... You mentioned just reintroduction there, and I think uh, now's a good transition we can make. Uh, so most people, when they when they see animals like golden lion tamarins, it's not going to be in nature. Uh, it's going to yeah. be at a zoo. Yeah, that's and true. Maybe there's not that many zoos around the world that have golden lion tamarins, but there are mm-hmm. uh, you know a good number of them. Mm-hmm. And they became heavily involved, or a number of them did, in the reintroduction project. So yeah. maybe can you talk briefly about you know, what is reintroduction and, and what was the project specifically for golden lion tamarins? Yeah, absolutely. So um, when it was about 1980, we knew that it was a, a, a huge decline in the population of golden lion tamarins into the wild. And what happens is that uh, the reintroduction program is starting in 1984. So between 83 and 84. But then what happened is that the zoos from all around the world and mainly from Europe and United States, we had this um, this record of how many how much animals they do have, and they provide us some animals that pass through a quarantine uh, uh, process to them go to the wild. But it was very much interesting through this process is that it's not only about introducing the animals into the wild, because basically, how do they forage? Which are the predators? So beforehand, 
They passed by a process to habituate the animals to the possible threats they would have into the wild as well. Mm -hmm. So we can go into the details in, in another time, but uh, this is just a, a very complex and long process that took about 11 years. Wow. So the introduction process, process started in, um, no, I'm sorry, yeah, 1984, yeah, so 2021, so yeah, more than 11 years, yeah. Yeah, wow. Yeah. yeah, it's amazing. And so zoos had a big role, obviously, they're uh, in part supplying the animals yeah, uh, that would eventually become reintroduced. Yeah. Uh, and so our next guest on the on the podcast mm -hmm. uh, happens to be a member of the zoo community. Yeah. So our next guest is Jennifer Mikkelberg. She is from the vice president of the collection and conservation of the zoo Atlanta. And she's going to talk and introduce to us not only the role that uh, the zoos had in the past, but also what they do have right now. It's an important component of the conservation of the golden lion tamarins because it's assured that we're going to have a viable population for the future in case there is some uh, disaster or problem or threat. Um, I've been working on golden lion tamarind conservation for almost 20 years. And um, I started actually by working on managing the captive population. We've got about 500 golden eye tamarins that live in zoos all over the world. About 160 zoos participate in the program. And a really important part of the conservation of golden eye tamarins is that we've been able to take those animals that we have in zoos, and some of them have actually returned to Brazil as part of a reintroduction program. So the reintroduction program started in about 1984, and that's when the population in zoos was really doing pretty well, and decided that that would be a great way to enhance the population in Brazil is by taking these animals that are born in zoos and release them. From 1984 to 2000, about 150 animals were reintroduced back to Brazil, and that those animals have bred and contributed contribute to the population. But not only has it been important to have the animals come back to Brazil, it's also been a great partnership between zoos that house golden lion tamarins and conservation. So zoos historically have been seen as a place that just houses animals. But today, and even over the last couple of decades, zoos really have transformed to be conservation organizations. Um, so we have a very unique opportunity to take and use our knowledge and our expertise and also our population sometimes and contribute to conservation in the wild. Um, it's also a really great opportunity for people that come to these zoos that maybe have, well, have never had a chance to see golden lion tamarins in Brazil. They can go to a zoo around the world and get to see golden lion tamarins and hear about their conservation story. Why are they endangered and how we've worked together collectively with our Brazilian partners to really try to bring them back from the brink of extinction. So as I was doing my homework uh, for this podcast and listening to some of the interviews that you got, I, after listening to uh, Jennifer's, or the first few seconds of Jennifer's uh, interview, it dawned on me that I recognized that voice. I'd never met her before, but uh, because I'm teaching this zoo biology class at Kyoto University for undergraduates, sometimes, or, or, or I always show uh, parts of a documentary um, from Great Museums Television, which they have an episode <laughs> nice. called Wild Thing, Smithsonian uh, National Zoo. And 
she's featured in that as being part of this, uh, you know, as a coordinator for the Golden Lion Tamarind uh, project there uh, and its involvement with, with the National Zoo. And so this, the Smithsonian National Zoo has been a partner of uh, the Golden Lion Tamarind uh, project for quite a long time, maybe since the beginning. Yeah, yeah, they do. And um, yeah, so American United States, Institutes for United States has been uh, some of our main collaborators and uh, Smithsonian for sure, which was uh, it has been one of uh, of the big um, collaborators we have. Yeah, mm -hmm. not only from from the from the logistic support as well uh, part, but also from for the many researchers that finally came from from there to work with us. That that's was the example of Carlos. That's right. And uh, and uh, Jennifer. That's uh, right. That we yeah. have interviewed here. Yeah. In that documentary, they also talk about how one of their big things is you know training and education for people from all over the world, and yeah. so I think it's a great. Uh, great mission on that end but the one thing that if you if you see the documentary they also talk quite a lot about uh, is how you know animals that are living in zoos are obviously not prepared at all to be released into the wild yeah. um, and so how can you get the animals ready for reintroduction I mean reintroduction projects it is an important conservation strategy but frankly it you know usually fails yeah. and or at least it's very hard to establish a viable kind of yeah. breeding population. Yeah. Uh, so this case with the golden lion tamarins has been quite good. Uh, and in that documentary, they talk about how some of the strategies they use for uh, kind of preparing the animals for release. Like mm. uh, they have quite a lot of space to range even freely uh, yeah. in some of the forest around the zoo, um, you know, where they have to, you know, watch out for pred potential predators yeah. and practice foraging and, and things yeah, like that. Yeah, exactly. So that's a very good point you did because um, when you think about reintroduction programs, it's not uh, always successful. Mm -hmm. And for the Golden Lion Tamarins, this is an example of successful conservation program because actually um, one of uh, the strategies the ours had is a, a, a scientific background as mm -hmm. well. And as you said, the, before the introduction, so our first introduction uh, event actually was uh, not successful. Mm -hmm. And after that, we learned from the mistakes and uh, um, they started to create uh, um, some activities beforehand. So animals could be uh, more exposed for what you'd be a natural conditions, actually. Mm -hmm. So either giving foraging tasks to individuals or pretending that uh, showing to them the possible predators they would face and so on. Yeah. Yeah, it's really amazing. I, just thinking of a different project, there's the uh, you know the conservation uh, projects for black-footed ferrets in the United States as well mm -hmm. as another you know high-profile project with kind of variable levels of success. But one of the things that they were trying to do is is teach natural foraging or hunting behavior. Mm -hmm. And so you have this. Uh, it's a little bit off topic, but you have this <laughs> you know really interesting kind of ethical dilemma because they. What do black-footed ferrets eat? Well, they're predators, uh, uh, and, and they spend a lot of time eating prairie dogs. So mm -hmm. part of the conservation strategy is to breed prairie dogs specifically for the purpose that the black-footed ferrets can learn how to hunt them. Yeah. Uh, and so you have this kind of animal welfare, animal rights versus conservation, yeah. uh, you know, the, the right of an individual animal versus, you know, the conservation or protection of the species. Yeah. And so there's so many moving parts. I mean, with the golden lion tamarins, you have a different set of issues, but... Uh, one of the issues, uh, and this is going to transition into our next interview, but mm -hmm. one of the issues is where do you put them back to? So even if you have them trained, yeah. uh, my understanding is that the Atlantic forest is heavily fragmented at the time. There's tons of people around uh, mm -hmm. and there's just not very many places for them to go. So uh, what, would, what has been the main strategy of the Golden Lion Tamarind Association in this regard? 
So that's a very good point because um, the, the two main activities that the Golden Lion Tamarind Associations they, they have now as priority actually is to cr create connections between the fragments we, we have in our forest but they are completely fragmented. And the second is to protect these, these, um, these fragments. So together with the force of the Golden Lion Tamarind Association, which was created in Brazil decades ago, a few decades ago, the first biological reserve in Brazil, wow. that is the post Desantos Biological Reserve. And uh, after that, we, they started uh, putting the forts in, the, in collaborating with uh, local landowners. And that's what uh, came today with this amazing project that is actually the combination of efforts. So first, they, they, they talked with the person at the time to include there, the, introduce the Golden Lion Tamarins. Mm -hmm. And um, what happened is that this is going to be our next guest, that is Marcus Freire. And Marcus Freire, he is the family of landowners that actually, it was the first form to receive Golden Lion Tamarins wow. in Brazil. And you're gonna see that this link, the link that association has with Marcus Freire is not only that time, it was done not only for introducing the animals and the checking, monitoring the animals, but Marcus is today a board member of the Golden Lion Tamarind Association. He works for about 35 years in Oswaldo Cruz Institute, that is a research institute in Brazil, and uh, he works in the field of biology. And as you're gonna listen at the end of his interview, He's going to talk about the yellow fever now as a threat for the golden lion tamarinds. And uh, so it's, it makes like a, a, a circle, you know? So he started with his family, benef uh, working together with the, with the golden lion tamarind association, and now he's providing his expertise as a virologist to the golden lion tamarind association. Yeah. All right, let's hear directly from Marcus. My father bought a farm, a farm uh, more than 50 years ago and we have a, a farm here and a few years in 1980-85 or something like the, the group that worked with the gold line tamarind looked for us for asking if you have some, some part of the farm that would be used for introduction of some animals that would be trans transferred from the UK or the United States. Then it was a good opportunity to, to discuss how to do, and the, we are discussing the possibility well, until the day that they, they plan, they had a plan, to introduce in another farm. But in fact, what happens when they, they try to, to introduce these animals there, they, they realize that in the farm that they, they were planning to introduce was, was a rat with a, a group of wild animals. Then they had to to look for another place. Then they remember that they, they had a conversation with me and they, they, they put me a phone or they get a call and they asked me if it's possible to introduce the animals. Then it was like this. 
uh, we decided to introduce the animals there. It was in 1989, the middle of 1989. Then, in fact, it was the first farm that had gold line tamarind reintroduced. And since there, we are in straight contact and cooperation with the, the association and very close relationship because the animals were at that time were introduced and it was more than six, six year to, years to, to have the animals uh, completely independent. Then, then after that, we, we, we were invited to, to, to be a part of, of the, the as a associate with the Gold Lion Association, I think it is. And the, we are here. Now I am part of the board of the, the association. And by chance, I have been working for more than 35 years in Oswaldo Cruz Foundation in virology and the vaccinology. And today, the relationship was, let's say, important to, to help some strategics to, to think about how to protect the, the gold lion tamarind from from the yellow fever uh, challenge that we are with the outbreak that we are in the same region that we have these animals. So I think it's really heartwarming to see when, you know, people who might start out as just being associated to the project by the mere fact that they're living in an important area for the project, mm -hmm. but rather than just trying to take, you know, either land from those people or, you know, somehow push them out, like a lot of kind of traditional conservation does act, operate that way. You know, you, you, you gazette certain areas for complete protection. You don't allow any people in it. But here it's much more working together with the local people and then not only working together, but actually providing opportunities, you know, yeah. in both directions. So this cooperation looks to be really substantial yeah so that's a very good point of um, that's a very, very interesting point of the golden iron tamarind association that i'm fascinated about is that instead of uh, working in a in a one way it's a two-way process so basically um what happens in, in many of uh, the landowners that were interested to this project was the association helped to create commercial tree nurseries in brazil mm. and next change what happened is that they buy from these nurseries the seedlings they will use for the corridors for the reforestation so just to have an idea in 2013 the golden land tamarind association bought about 800,000 native tree seedlings so that's just amazing yeah, it's fantastic i mean it's really yeah. just the idea of empowering the local community to produce products that are then bought by the ngo and associated yeah. kind of institutions to support the forest yeah. Uh, it just seems like it's such an ideal way to do it. Yeah, it's a, it's a increase the forest friendly income into the community. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, as a perspective uh, people understand and uh, see the economic also role mm-hmm. of uh, having the golden lion tamarind there mm-hmm. without considering for example the ecotourism mm-hmm. for instance that is another i would say more obvious way of thinking about conservation yeah. right carlos mentioned it's so close yeah. to uh, to rio that you know that ecotourism component yeah, of it is. exactly it's just a maximum an hour of i'm um, depending on the on the traffic, of course, but it takes about an hour to arrive there, right. to reach this area. Yeah. And, and also, which was interesting in, in the interview with Marcus, so he is obviously working towards the, or working with the project in, in multiple capacities now as a board member and also as a virologist, yeah. uh, uh, working on vaccines and thinking about yellow fever. So there's also that, that, that encouragement for people to get involved at that level. And then there's also environmental education programs that they're putting out. So Yeah, yeah, absolutely. This is another, another part of the Golden Iron Tamarind Association. They have an um, outstanding project that is to train uh, local teachers uh, about the conservation of Golden Iron Tamarinds, about the threats, about the conservation of the Atlantic forest per seal as well. And um, through that and after this, they go to the schools and they have activities with the kids, they, they, they have the class. So actually this knowledge is spread throughout the community and that's very fascinating, yeah. So that's what they call the project called Redescobrindo um, Mata Atlântica, so rediscovering the Atlantic Forest. And that's a renewed project, yeah. Okay, so in our last interview uh, of this podcast, we're going to hear uh, from James Deet. So can you maybe set this up? Yeah, with a big pleasure to meet introduce Jamie Jets. He's the vice president of the Save the Golden Lion Tamarind Association. So this is an American partner of the Golden Lion Tamarind Association that is Brazil-based. And um, he's going to talk not only about his involvement as a researcher that he started in the 80 decade, uh, decades of 80, you know, 80 decades, yeah. But uh, he's going to talk to us about his involvement as a biology, uh, conservation biologist that he became after that, and uh, which are the goals that the Golden Lion Tamarind has reached or not. Let's see. I started working uh, initially doing research on Golden Lion Tamarins in 1983. Uh, at that time, my interest was more along the lines of answering scientific questions. Um, and then over the years, I realized that golden lion tamarins were probably going to become extinct during my, my research. And so I became a conservation biologist, working not just to understand golden lion tamarins, but to keep them from extinction. Um, <clears throat> the Brazilian organization, Associação Nicoleão Dourado, or AMLD, that, that we helped to form uh, is is the organization that does all of the uh, coordination and implementation of the national and international conservation work for this species. Uh, There are now about 3,200 golden lion tamarins in the wild and their conservation status has been upgraded from critically endangered to endangered. And the reason for that uh, is the work of this organization since its creation in 1992. We have science-based goals uh, to understand what safe from extinction actually means. And uh, the, one of the problems that gold mine tamarins face is that 
they're now only in 13 very small forest fragments that are about 70 kilometers or maybe an hour's drive from the city of Rio de Janeiro with 12 million inhabitants. And so what we're doing now, the association is doing, is working to tie together these forest fragments uh, so that they become one population of golden lion tamarins big enough to keep the species from extinction. Our goal is 2,000 golden lion tamarins in connected and protected uh, Atlantic forest habitat. Uh, we're not there yet, but we're, we're working hard to get there, and I believe that at, at some point in the next maybe 10 years, we will have enough forest fragments tied together to say that we have the, the species at least temporarily safe from extinction. Of course, the long term is, is going to be more difficult, maintaining that forest and its connections uh, into perpetuity, and that uh, brings me to to say that that golden lion tamarins are unfortunately a uh, conservation reliant species. That means we're always going to have to to uh, look over these little forests that hold them because they're so close to the big city of Rio de Janeiro, and thus they're very endangered endangered with <coughs> with development. So. Uh, with that in mind, we have to ensure that the association will be here on the long term. And we look forward to having many partners help us do that long after we're not here to do it ourselves. So I think it's a, it, you know, it is a sad state of the planet when we have to use terms like conservation dependent or conservation reliant species, uh, as we see with the golden lion tamarind. Uh, but at the same time, um, you know, James mentioned that we do have over 3,000 individuals now in the wild by the latest counts, and so that is above the goal. Yeah. Uh, it looks like at least half the, the, the goal for the numbers of individuals <laughs> is there, uh, but there's still a long way to go for you know protecting the habitat that we need to protect. So, um, yeah, we do have a good number in terms of uh, individuals living into the wild, but our biggest challenge right now is that those forests are fragmented and constantly that we need to connect them and also they are not protected. So uh, just to give it a bit of numbers, in 2014 we knew that we had about 13,000 hectares of forest that are protected and we have two federal biological reserves, private reserves and state park. Mm -hmm. But this is still uh, the main issue you have and what we want to increase this number in the next years. Yeah. So the other message, I mean, uh, you know, we were left with at the end of the last uh, section of interview there is that, you know, this is, it's on the right track, but how, we need to get to a point where we can, that the animals can persist without our support in the future. So with that in mind, um, what can we do to help? So um, for supporting activities of this group, uh, that is, I, I can say to you, that's a very serious group and passionate for what they are doing. Uh, there are several activities we can do. Of course, we can think about donations. And if you are willing to donate uh, to our associations, we can do simple things. For example, when you go to Amazon and you, and you think about buying your items to Amazon, instead of going to Amazon, you can choose Amazon Smile and then choosing to save the Lion Tamarind Association as a charity uh, association, mm -hmm. organization. And then 0.5% of what we are buying goes for this, uh, for this institute that actually is converted to conservation activities. That's great. Very yeah. easy. Very it's, easy, people. Very it's very easy. easy. Yeah, exactly. Everyone uses Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> so, if, of course, there are other activities such as you can name a GLT, you can grow a tree. And for those information, you can access 
the savethelionthumbering.org that is in English, so we're going to get all the information you might need over there. But then, if you are in Brazil, I think for you, the great opportunity is go to visit, to mm -hmm. watch these monkeys in the, in the forest. This is amazing. And then that's uh, the activities with ecotourism. You can also volunteer, of course, and then you can get in contact with uh, the group in Brazil. For those that are Portuguese speakers, you can go for www.micoleon.org.br and there you're going to find more information about the activities we are doing in Brazil right now and how you can get your involvement with us. Yeah. Great. SaveTheLionTamarin.org. So I'd like to sincerely thank all of our guests and thank you, Valeria, for going down, uh, getting all of these, these great uh, clips and, and really great insights into this problem and, and hopefully, uh, you know, bright future for the Golden Lion Tamarins. It was a mm -hmm. pleasure having you in the studio. Thank you very much, Andrew. It was really my pleasure and, and it was amazing to be with the Godelarn Tamarin Association. Thank you for all your guests, for all your guests and also for the, for the association. Yeah. All right, let's do this again soon. Okay. <laughs> you have been listening to The Primate Cast, a podcast series dedicated to all things primatology and wildlife science, to the conservation of species and to the dissemination of related scientific knowledge. The podcast is brought to you by the Center for International Collaboration and Advanced Studies in Primatology at the Kyoto University Primate Research Institute. Visit us online at theprimatecast.com and follow our social media feeds on Facebook and Twitter at The Primatecast.